0: Hey, good morning, church family. Good to see those that are here uh, in our worship center and also those that are online. Thank you for joining with us uh, in worship. If you've got your Bible or something that has your Bible on it, I'd like for you to turn to Job chapter 38. Now, you need to do this because I'm not going to put every scripture uh, there on the screen, so I'd love for you to hold it in front of you as we begin to walk through these four chapters. We are coming to the climax of the book of Job. And so, So as we have talked, uh, Job going through all of the suffering and all of the questions for 36 chapters, he has been struggling with why am I suffering? Why am I going through all this? And he's had his friends talk to him. They've argued back and forth on it, and uh, but nothing has changed. And so there's this incredible tension of him saying, uh, I want to contend with God. It's in essence, I want to take God to court. I want him to come and he needs to explain to me why I'm going through all this because I don't think that I've done anything overtly wrong to have justified all of this. And so he's been calling out God, hoping that God will listen, hoping that God will respond to him. Well... In chapters 38 through 41, he gets his wish. And, uh, and God does show up. And it says in chapter 38 that God speaks in a whirlwind and then he gives two speeches, chapter 38 and 39, and then chapter 40 and 41. Now, I want you, if you've got your Bible open, we're going to walk through some of what God said to Job. So, sure enough... After all this time, God's showing up. And this is what he says. In the first verse, it says, And the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? He begins with a, the with a reproof. He said, Who is this that is questioning my wisdom? Who is this? I, you know, when I first read that, I thought, how many times do we jump the gun? Things don't go our way, and all of a sudden we're pointing our finger at God and telling him, hey, this isn't fair, and, and, and this should be this way and that way. And we begin to say things that we really don't understand, and we probably should have held back on it. Well, he is starting the conversation by saying, Who is this that is questioning my wisdom with words of ignorance? So then, verse three, he says, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I love that. Dress for action. Some of your uh, translations might have gird your loins great biblical word, gird your loins. Uh, people, when they wore things, it was a little bit longer. And uh, when they got ready for battle, they said, you need to sort of pull it up, stick it in your, in your belt loops and get ready to run. That way you can get after it. So he's telling him, he says, you get dressed for action. You get ready. Okay. And then I want you to be like a man and I'm going to ask you some questions. Now, Job's been asking questions all throughout these 36 chapters, and so God says, I'm going to question you, and you get to answer me. If I'm Job, my first response is, "Uh uh-oh, what have I gotten myself into, all right? And uh, sure enough, God's going to do some questions, and he's going to ask 77 questions of Job, and we're going to go into detail with every one of oh, them. No, no, he he is going to rapid fire these questions to Job, and and I was thinking as you read through it, I was almost thinking like a boxing match, and you know when boxers are training and uh, they've got that uh, they've got that little uh, ball, that punching ball up there, and they're, they're going, they get their hands going on that. This is kind of what God's doing to Job in a nice way, okay. Because he's just throwing out question after question after question. So he starts out in verses four through six. And he says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? And on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? The very first thing he asks is, okay, Job, tell me this. Where were you uh, when the world was created? Uh, Job would have to go with an answer about well, I really I wasn't around at that time. It's like God started out with a body blow, <laughs> and He said, "Let's just kind of lay out the foundation here. Uh, where were you when we were determining the dimensions of the world and the dimensions of the universe? Can you explain to me where you were? Well, you know, he, he really really won there, and so all of a sudden, Job is admitting." That since he wasn't around for creation, this puts him at a huge disadvantage in all of this back and forth between he and God. So right now, God takes the lead in credibility. And by being the one who laid the foundations of the earth. And in verse 5, he says, who determined its dimensions? And I love what God does. He says, who determined the dimensions? I'm sure you know. And then in verse 7. When he gets to verse seven, he says, and when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, were you you there? Were you there when all the stars came together? Were you there in that incredible event when the angels were shouting for joy? Did you miss that one or were you there? And then verses eight through 11, God gives a resume of setting the boundaries on the oceans and the seas. And so he lays out his plan for doing oceans and the seas. And then he comes back to verse 12. And in verse 12, he says to him, he says, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth? He's asking Job this question. Hey, Job, have you ever commanded the morning to begin? Have you ever done that? Have you ever had that opportunity to command the, the morning and to get the sun out and to say, hey, this is the day that, that's going to be starting on there? And, uh, and then he comes back, and in verse 16, he says, have you ever been to the depths, entered the springs of the sea, or have you walked in the recesses of the deep? Have you ever gone to the bottom of the ocean? Have you ever done that? And so as he's throwing these questions at him, Job is thinking, no, I hadn't, hadn't done that on there. Verse 17, have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Do you know where the depths, the depths, where the gates of death are? And then verse 18, he says, have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all of this. Can you comprehend the extent or the size of the earth? And if you do, please just tell me, please tell me. And then verse 19 and 20, another question. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and where is the place of darkness that you may make take it to its territory and that you may discern the path to its home? Where does light come from and where does darkness go? And can you get to those places? Can you get to the places where light starts? Can you get to the places where darkness goes. And then verse 21. Now when he gets to verse 21, this may just be my interpretation. I think God's used a little bit of sarcasm over here. In verse 21, he says, you know, because he's asked all these questions and he says, you know, for you were born then and the number of your days is great. Now, just look at what does he say? He's asking all these questions, and he says, well, I'm sure the answer is yes to this because you were born back then because who can put a number on your years of living? And then God goes, not? (laughs) No, you weren't born then. No, you weren't. This is why you, you don't know any of these things. So he says, let's just keep this thing going. Verse 22, he says, have you entered the storehouses of the snow or have you seen the storehouses of the hail? In verse 23, for which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war. To know that I've got a purpose even to use the hailstones to be able to use in times of war. And you see this in scripture where God has done that before. And then verse 24, he says, what is the way to the place where the light is distributed or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Explain to me how we get to this place to this place with light and then where is the home of the east wind? Where does it start, Job? 25 through 28, he talks about where, who makes the rainfall? Who's the one that controls the lightning? In verses 29 through 30, he says, where does ice come from? And who gave birth to frost? <laughs> in verses 31 through 32, he's talking about, can you direct the constellations? Can you direct the constellations that are in the sky? Can, can you move them? And in verses 34 through 38, he's talking about the weather. He says, can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the waterskins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together? He says, can you even control the weather, the enormity of God's first speech here, the enormity of the things that he's saying makes us and Job feel incredibly insignificant. And it's especially enormous because the one who is asking the questions is the same one who answers the questions and God himself could answer every one of these questions in the affirmative. And he says, Job, I've created it all. I've set it in motion, and I keep everything working in clockwork precision. This is the great God that we serve. And so then in verses 39 through 41, he asks him a question. Can you provide for the animals? So now he moves into chapter 39. And when he moves into chapter 39, he... He moves into chapter 39, he begins to inform Job of this creative and sustaining activity of nature. So he's gone from all the the earth and the sky and the sea to now he's talking about living creatures on the earth. And he talks about in those first few verses that he provides for each species its own gestation period and has created them in such a way that they can give birth to their offspring and yet they don't need anybody to help them to do that. And then he equips them with the wisdom to be able to take care of their young. So now... He begins to really pile on and saying, Job, do you understand these things? And can you do this? And in verses one through four, he talks about mountain goats and deers, okay? And when he talks about mountain goats and deers, he says, it's during their most crucial time of when they're giving birth to their young, I'm there to take care of them. Verses five through 12, he talks about donkeys and wild oxen. So he covers the donkeys and the wild oxen. And then... In verse 13, he talks about the ostrich. Why? It's just, you know, I, I've gone over this so many times and I'm trying to figure out, hey, which animal kind of gets the, uh, you know, gets the top spot on there. And, um, and you, you know, the ostrich, it just didn't seem that was in my top 10 list. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't really see that one coming. And, but he says, the wings of the ostrich wave proudly. But are they the pinions and plumage of love? For she leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them. He says, you know, she leaves her eggs up on the ground. Anyone could step on it and could crush it on there. Forgetting that a foot may crush them and that the wild beast may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young as if they were not hers. Though her labor be in vain, yet she has no fear. And because God has made her forget wisdom and given her no share in understanding, when she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at the horse and his rider. What he is saying here, he said, what does that mean? He says, look at the ostrich. He said, I created the ostrich. I gave the ostrich wings, but it can't fly. But yet it can run faster than a horse. Go figure And so what we understand there, the lesson is, is that God can and does make creatures that appear odd and crazy to us, but it pleases God. That explains some of the unique people that we know. Some who are sitting around you right now. And those people that you may think are odd or crazy, it pleases God, he's loving it. He created them to be unique. Now, Job could not understand what God was doing with his life, okay? And what God was telling him, listen, the creative world is just as difficult to rationalize. So while you're sitting there, Job, trying to rationalize what all is happening to you and you're struggling with this, just look at the divine order, the world that I created. There are some things that are probably difficult to rationalize on there. So then he moves from the ostrich to the powerful war horse, In verses 19 through 25, he talks about this horse, and he begins to pepper Job with more questions. He comes in verse 19. He says, do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He said, did you do this? Did you create him like this? Did you do any of these things? No. Then he comes down to verse 26. Verse 26. And in verse 26, is is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings towards the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the rock he dwells and makes his home, and on the rocky crag and stronghold. And from there, he spies out the prey. His eyes behold it afar off. His young ones suck up blood, and where the slain are, there is he. He says, is it your command that teaches the eagle how to fly to the heights and then go down and get its prey. All right, so, so God has just finished his first speech and, uh, and it says, and the Lord said to Job in chapter 40, the Lord said to Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who chooses God answer him. And he paused. Okay, I've shared all of this You're the one that's been accusing mighty God. What is your answer? Verses three through five. Then Job answered the Lord, and this is what he said. Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once. I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Job realizes for the first time, that he has overstepped the mark in his protest. He should not accuse the Almighty of injustice nor question God's wisdom. And there's, We talk about this when we go through suffering. Our very first question is why, and I believe that's natural, and I don't think there's a problem with that at all. But what happened with Job is it just got deeper and deeper and deeper, which we'll talk about in just a few moments, and, uh, and then the accusations he began to make towards God. And so um, as we see what God said, and now we're looking at Job's response, we're going to take truths from this chapter and then the next two chapters that will help us when the Lord speaks. Are you ready? I want you to write these down. The first one is the longest. So this is gonna give you practice to write. Are you okay? Stretch out your hand, get it ready over here. Get your fingers tight. Number one, put attention on the greatness of God and not preoccupation with self situation. We're going to leave it up there for a while. Put attention on the greatness of God. I'm going through suffering. I got a lot of questions. I'm going through some struggles. I am to put my attention on the greatness of God and not preoccupation with self and my situation. You see, Job has been discrediting God's justice by suggesting that he was guilty of failing to run the world in the way that Job imagined he should run it. He was questioning the way God was running the world. And his preoccupation with his own self, his own situation, and his own vindication had obscured the real issue, and that is that God alone has the power and the majesty. God knows things that we do not know. He has secrets to which we are not privy to. And there is a pattern in the divine order of things which we could have never dreamed. And so whenever I complain to God and I say, this isn't fair, what I'm really saying is, God, I know more about this than you do. I know more about this than you do, but I don't. So instead of being preoccupied with myself and my situation, I am to put attention on the greatness of God. You see, Job now realizes how complex and mysterious God's ways are. And after he's had this front row view of surveying the mysteries and the marvels of God's created universe, when it was his turn to speak, he says, I got nothing. No long speeches, no raging, no questions. Because what happened is, is I have taken my view off the preoccupation with myself, my situation, And I just took a look at God, and you were able to give me this panoramic view of all the marvelous deeds and the mighty things that you have done, and to know that your ways are mysterious. And so by me focusing on you, putting my attention on you, I don't have any other questions. Number two is this. God's presence and grace are always there. God's presence and grace are always there. As Job was going through this difficult time, his greatest fears were that God had abandoned him. You know, in the silence and the isolation, he had assumed that God had let him down and let him go, and that God, but yet what it is, is that God was silent, but he wasn't absent. As we studied a few years ago in the book of Esther, uh, he was uh, not hiding, but he was hidden. And Job feared that he had fallen through some hole in the universe that beyond the reach of grace, beyond the world of God, beyond the Creator's control. And so it's like he just sort of fell through that crack and that God had left him and there's no presence there and there's no grace there. But here, what God did is He reminded him and reassured him listen. I am the creator and I am holding all things by my word and by my power. And that means that nothing in creation, including Job, is outside his gracious hand. He says, this is to be a reminder that God is always present and his grace is always present. There's some of you today that you, your faith is being tested. It is being tested because of the darkness and the apparent absence of God. And it just seems that all things are silent, that heaven is silent. And has has God just dropped me off the map? Not at all. The great reassurance of Job chapter 38 and 39 is that God speaks and that he is in control. He has been present all along and he will make his presence known and his grace available. So he finished his first talk. Then he moves in to his second speech and that's chapters uh, 40, in 41. And, in chapter, and what he does is uh, in seven, he starts it out again. <laughs> Look what he says. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. And if I'm Job, I'm like, oh no, I got to do this again. All right. Gird your loins. Get ready. I'm going to come at you one more time. And he does. And so what he does is he gives them a little bit of a reproof in verse eight and nine. In verse eight, he says, will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? He says, do you dare question my justice in the way that I, call the, uh, I govern the world? And then in verses 10 through 14, he calls on Job to display the attributes of deity that are needed to deal with the forces of evil in the world. And he looks at Job and he says, okay, Job, you go and, uh, and you put down the evil and, then, and you put down those who, who are abusing and, and you do all of these things. And if you do all of these things and you know how to do it, then you have no need of me because you can be saved by your strong right arm. And what is he saying is that, Job, you can't do this. You do not have the power nor the wisdom to deal with all that I'm dealing with, with the evil in the world and all these other things that need to be controlled. So you can't depend on your own arm to save you. You need to depend on me. And so then all of a sudden, God goes in and he's going to focus on two animals. <laughs> and at the end of, verse, uh, end of uh, chapter 40, he talks about the behemoth. Most people believe he's talking about the hippopotamus. And so he talks about the hippopotamus. You go to chapter 41. He talks about Leviathan. And it is the crocodile, all right, not one of those science fiction movies that we've seen, but uh, it is it is talking about like the crocodile, and for both of these, God describes the intricacies of their creation and their physical power, and so you're as you read through this, he just goes on and on about their own qualities and characteristics and the intricacies of them, and then when he finishes, he's quiet, he stops. And he's waiting for Job's response. And this is where everybody goes to in the book of Job and they go to chapter 42 to say, what does Job say? And out of all the things that have been said, it's pretty short. And he says in chapter 42, starts in the first verse. Then Job answered the Lord and he said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. In verse two, he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That is the third insight. God's purposes cannot be thwarted. God's purposes cannot be thwarted. You know, when Job stepped back and God presented him all that he has done in his incredible, immense majesty, glory, power, when he saw that, He realized that when, and he made the statement, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And his response is complete submission to the sovereignty of God. And he affirms that God can do anything and that whatever he does is both good and right. He says, and whether you're creating the hippopotamus or you're creating the crocodile, or whether uh, with its strong and ferocious nature or any creature that flies in the air or swims in the sea or every man or every woman, no purpose of God's can be thwarted. And folks, I got to tell you, that's a great truth to hold on to in today's climate of confusion and uncertainty. No purpose of God can be thwarted. Some people say, it looks like our world is spinning out of control. Well, not really. Because in the midst of everything, God has a plan and he has a purpose. And his purposes will not be thwarted. Number four is this. Rest secure even though questions are unanswered. In the midst of all of this suffering, you can rest secure, even though questions are unanswered. I like the first part of uh, of verse three. He repeated what God said to him. The Lord had asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? (laughs) And Job says, it's me. And uh, his reply is humility and submission because his conscience has been opened up and God's voice has been his teacher. He was making judgment about matters that he didn't even understand. But after hearing God tell of the wise handling of the physical and natural worlds, he is now convinced that he was way out of bounds. And so Job is at a point where he says, I can rest even though all my questions were not answered. Do you realize when you read through the book of Job, God never once told him about the conversation that he had with Satan that got this whole thing started? God never once laid it out and said, hey, this is exactly what I'm wanting to accomplish over here. This is why this thing happened, that thing happened. He didn't. He didn't give him answers. He didn't give him answers. In the book of Job, we are shown that there are questions for which there are no answers this side of heaven and problems which human logic cannot solve, the Christian life is not meant to be in neat and tidy packages with Christian answers for everything that happens. And too often we get confused with that and we think, just because I'm a believer in Christ, I should be able to understand everything. There has to be an answer for everything that happens. There has to be an answer for this or that. Well, there is, but we may not know until we get to the other side of heaven. Everything's not just in a neat, tidy package. And that's the way it was with with Job. Some of the things are just left with the mystery of God. And we are called to live a life of faith, trusting God's love and his mercy. That is why God showed Job who he was. And when Job saw who God was, he says, man, I can trust you. I don't have to have all the answers. I can trust you. And just as we cannot control all of God's creation, we cannot control or even understand some of the deep questions of human suffering. There are some things which have by their very nature to be left within the mystery of God. Number five is this. Move from preoccupation and pride to silence and submission. Move from preoccupation and pride to silence and submission. Job goes Uh, from talking and asking all these questions, and he goes to silence, I can't say anything else, to where he goes to submission, and he says, I repent. Now, there were no overt sins for him to repent of. Remember, they talked about this. He'd had this conversation with those friends, but what it was was he deeply regretted the presumption of his foolish words. He says, I was foolish to question God the way I did. And he also understood that pride had been creeping in. You see what happens when we get a preoccupation with our, our, um, our suffering and our situation, it engulfs us so much that we can begin to say, I don't deserve this. Shake our fist at God. And the more we do it, the more our pride builds up because we begin to build ourselves up even more and more and say, why could something like this happen, happen to me on there? And so as this Uh, This preoccupation, this pride, when we come before God, that moves to both silence and submission to where we now submit to God and say, I trust you. One author believes that he confessed that his God had been too small and he needed this theophany to remind him of the fact that the God of the universe, the creator of all the creatures, he's greater, he's grander, he's higher, and he's wiser than any mortal can imagine and much less challenge. And then last is this, and that's found in verse five. What we really need is not an explanation from God, but a revelation of God. What we really need is not an explanation from God, but a revelation of God. That's a quote from Warren Wearsby. And it just jumped out of the page when I saw that. Because it ties to verse five when Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes See you. My eye sees you. He has now experienced God's presence and understands Him better. And it's because of God's grace that He has made Himself known to Job. So Job is satisfied. Now, He's not received a direct answer to all His questions, but He has seen the Lord. And He says, You know, once I've had the revelation of God, I need that more than I need the explanation. To give me an answer to every question that I have. When God makes Himself known, it is not in terms of logical proof, but in gracious personal encounter. And that's where it, um, and that's what we long for. Uh, One of our church members wrote me a letter this week and uh, was just talking about the series. And and it talked about uh, a tragedy that had happened early in their life and the loss of a child. And that even there at the graveside, you've got people that are sharing different words and stuff, but even there at that graveside, God revealed himself in a mighty way that his presence was there in such an amazing amount of strength that there was an understanding that they were going to make it. And they could understand that, that God's presence was there and he was going to carry him, uh, him, them through this. It was amazing, it was such a sweet note of saying, this is what God did. It wasn't logical, it wasn't something that you can explain one, two, three. It was this revelation of God, and that's what carried me through. Do you think think they still have some questions? Yeah, I guess. I know I've still got questions, how about you? You got some things in life that just don't make sense, that you've been able to move on, and you're just trusting God on it, but yet, in the back of your mind, you say, I'm still, still not certain, I don't understand the why. But you know what? I trust the God and he's going to give me the strength on there. You see, when things get out of proportion when we are suffering, it takes a vision of something bigger than ourselves to get life's dimensions adjusted again. And we need to see how great God is and we need to recover our lost perspective in life. And it's in that new perspective that Job now understood that God was his friend and not his enemy and this brought him consolation and comfort and thus he was saying these words and he says these words you know what i'd heard you before but now i see you and i repent and he said those things and he says i'm back in the right walk with god but his suffering hadn't changed his situation He's still sitting on the ash heap. He still got boils. He still lost the life of all of his kids. He still lost all of his possessions. But you see, for him at that point, it was more of in that right relationship with God at that point. Far more important than reasons and explanations is our personal relationship with God. And if you know God personally through faith in Jesus, then these times of suffering can be times of deepening faith and of drawing closer to God the Lord. And we discover that during these times we see God in a different light and we understand that he is worthy of worship and worthy to serve him. And he will give us the strength to walk through those times of suffering. He is the one who will surround us with his grace and his peace and his love. And we can be like Job. I've gone through the questioning and I'll tell you what, I'm going to rest secure, and I'm going to rest in God. That is my prayer for each one of us as we go through these difficult times, that we would be able to rest in him and be like Job. Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. Father, thank you so much for your word and for this book in the Bible to where we can walk through our. Really, Job and and what he's gone through, and we see the questions that he has, and at the same time, Lord, we're able to see the way that you have displayed your incredible power and your might and your goodness. I pray for each person here today, especially for those that are walking through times of difficulty and times of suffering, and that in the midst of those questions, they will seek you, and that, Father, there will be some explanations I believe that you will give us, but you may not give us all the explanations. But yet, Lord, the greatest need we have is a revelation of you. And may you reveal yourself to those that are in the deepest pain and help them to see the light of day. For it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen.